All right, get well. Thanks for joining us today in the room or online, wherever you are, as we start a brand new series called Who is Jesus? Now, if we were to just cut through all the fluff uh, this morning and just rest on that question, who is Jesus? That is the single most important question you will ever ask in your life. Who is this man? This historical figure that walked the earth, that had been told about for thousands of years before he ever showed up, who calls to you and me, who is he? And what place does he have in my life? And if you don't get anything else today, just this reminder of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that he was the one that the prophets had spoke of, that he would come to reveal to us God's perfect plan. They had a miraculous birth to the Virgin Mary, that he lived a perfect life, that he gave us a clear picture of who God is and what God wants to do in the world of how we relate to him. He did miracles and signs and wonders. He healed the sick. He made the lame to walk, the blind to see. He rose the dead. He took our sin, your rebellion and mine, the brokenness of the world into his body. He gave his life a criminal's death on the cross and he took that sin of yours and mine to the grave so that it would be defeated forever. And as he said he would do on the third day, he rose from the dead. And all his opponents had to do was to take that dead body and parade it all over the empire, but they could not do it because he had risen. And then those who witnessed it, spoke about it all over the known world, gave their life for this message. That Jesus did what he said he was going to do. And now you and I have the hope of eternal life reconnected with God forever. That if we trust with our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. And so God has fulfilled his perfect plan. And here's what I want us to see today is that this has always been God's plan. As God shaped creation into being, as he breathed life into us, as he brought order to the things that he brought shape to, he was not surprised when humanity turned away from him. He wasn't racking his brain about what am I going to do now, but it was always part of the plan that God would give us agency to choose him or walk away to be in a relationship with him. And it was always part of the plan that Jesus would come and save us and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That this was always what God wanted to do. For you and me, because God doesn't just love us, God is love in himself. And he offers that to you and me. And so over these next several weeks, we're going to talk about how God fulfills that perfect plan that's always been the plan for you and me through his son, Jesus. And we're going to build a foundation today as we talk about Jesus is the son with purpose. Now, as we look through scripture We find both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the witness of Jesus. As you read through scripture, always be asking the question, how does this point to Jesus? 
Because it is true, the Old Testament is Jesus concealed and the New Testament is Jesus revealed. And even all the prophets and the history and the story of God's people through the Old Testament is pointing ahead to Jesus. And this promise that God has to bring an anointed one, the Messiah or the Christ who would save us. And through this witness, God continued to tell us that he would bring not just anyone, but he would bring his son into the world to fulfill his purpose. Now, one of the places that is significant for us in the story of God, it's not the first place, but it is a significant place where Jesus is pointed to is in a conversation that God has with a guy that he called to be king of Israel, a guy named David. And so we look at this conversation in 2 Samuel, and this is what happens. The Lord declares to you, talking to David, declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I'll pause there for just a second. Now, in part, God is telling David that David's literal son, Solomon, is going to come and extend his kingdom and is going to build a temple to God. But he's not just talking about Solomon. There's more to this picture. So we go on. Because he's going to build a kingdom for what? For forever. Now, Solomon's going to live and die And as a matter of fact, Solomon's son is going to mess things up and the kingdom's going to be divided. And so we know God's talking about something more than just Solomon. He goes on, I will be his father and he will be my what? My son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. Now, what's interesting here is that Jesus who lived a perfect life who did not deserve to be punished took on our brokenness our rebellion and took on our punishment for us he goes on but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul whom I removed from before you your house and your kingdom will endure forever So we know this is more than just Solomon. This is more than just David's lineage. Something more happening here. Forever before me, your throne will be established forever. So this is a promise to David. It's about David that God's going to do something through David's life, through his family, through his lineage, through his throne. But it's bigger than David. David writes about this in Psalm chapter 2. Look at what he says. He says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Now this is promised to David, but remember this is bigger than David. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of your earth your possession. So God is revealing to David, I'm going to do something through your life. That I'm going to bring something, a kingdom, an authority. When we talk about a kingdom, we're talking about someone who has power and authority to enforce their reign, to enforce their will, and to have power and reach throughout their territory. And what God is saying is all of creation, the ends of the earth belongs to me and I'm going to bring my son into the world who will inherit my kingdom. 
And he's going to do something for the world. And so he's talking about Solomon and, and building the temple and the rain. But it's so much bigger than that. That what we know, we've read the end of the story, that God is talking about bringing his son Jesus into the world to do something new. And what is that going to look like? What is the purpose that we lean into? Well, we find a little bit more about this in Isaiah chapter 42. And this is what the prophet Isaiah says. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him and he will bring what? Justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth, there that word is again, justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. What is this son going to do? He's going to come and bring justice. That word justice, it literally means to make things right. That Jesus is going to come into the world, the son of God, to make things right in the world. That when everything was broken by sin, by our human propensity to turn away from God and want to be God, and we brought brokenness and death into the world, Jesus comes to set it back right that we could be perfectly restored to God and living in the ways of God with the intentions and the purpose of God. And when Jesus shows up, he literally is the living presence of God. And he's pointing to God's intention and God's reality that God comes and God makes all things ordered in the world, that there is a, a order to things, there's a way of things, that it's not just random, it's not just chaos, but God has a plan for creation and Jesus comes to point to that. That God is not this chaotic God, but God is one who, who knows all things and is in all things and is working through all things. And in every moment of every day of all of life, we can see God at work. He is ordering all things. That God makes all things directed toward him. That Jesus came to point us in his ministry, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. He was pointing us toward our creator. That all things are directed to God and that finally all things are for God's glory. Everything that Jesus did was for God's glory. As you look at the signs and the wonders... If you walk through especially the book of John and see these miracles that Jesus does, it always says that it was for the glory of God. And Jesus is coming to make things right, to point us back to him. And there's two specific things that if we want to kind of sum it up that Jesus came to do. The first is that Jesus came to make things right, to order them, to point us back to God. And the second thing was that Jesus came to bring grace. Jesus came to do for us in making things right, came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so Jesus came with this reality, and so we could say it this way, is that Jesus is the Son with purpose. He is the Son of God who came to make things right and to bring God's grace. And again, this was always part of God's plan, that when God spoke to David, I will bring a son 
and I will be his father, and he will inherit the nations. This is what he's talking about, that my son is going to come into the world to make things right and bring my grace. When the prophet Isaiah spoke that this one will come into the world and the spirit will be upon him, we'll see how that is fulfilled in just a minute. He's talking about his son who's going to make things right and bring God's grace. And as you look at the life of Jesus, even though he had all the power and authority in his hands, he was God in the flesh. He did not come shouting or yelling or hitting people over the head with his message, but he was mild and meek. He was humble. He hung out with sinners and broken people, just like Isaiah said he would do. And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at, at three quick stories in Matthew as Jesus launches into his purpose into the world. And we're going to see how Jesus builds a foundation that we can point back to and see and all the things he's going to do all the way up to his death and resurrection that points back to the, this reality that he was the son of God who came with purpose. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at Jesus' baptism. And we're going to see in Jesus' baptism how he's initiated into his purpose. We're going to look at just after that, Jesus goes into the wilderness where he is tempted. And we're going to find in the temptation how Jesus identifies the things in the world that work against his purposes and against his purposes specifically in our lives. And number three, we're going to look at how Jesus launches his ministry and he implements his purpose into God's creation. All right, so let's look at the first part of this, the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, the heaven was opened and he saw, here we go, the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Isaiah chapter 42. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, here it is, the promise to David. I'm going to bring a son who will inherit the nations. This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Here in the baptism of Jesus, he is initiated into his purpose. Now what is Jesus doing? He's coming to fulfill that twofold purpose, to make things right and bring God's grace. If we were to back up one verse, John is interacting with Jesus and he's saying, I, I shouldn't be the one baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. Why are we doing this? And Jesus says, I have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. That I'm coming to make things right. And even though I haven't sinned, the world has sinned. And I'm joining myself, aligning myself with the world that I might save them. And so I've got to fulfill all of the things that God requires to make things right. And I'm gonna make a model and a way and embody what it looks like to follow after God. I'm gonna to come to make things right. But as he did that, here's what's amazing, is that Jesus stood in that river, the Jordan River, as he's baptized by John, the baptizer, he stood in that river with a whole bunch of sinners. Jesus got into the water with them, just like he gets into the mess with us. He aligns himself with us, even though he doesn't have to, because he comes to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, bringing the grace of God. 
And as he steps into that place to make things right and to bring God's grace being initiated into that purpose, the Spirit of God descends on him and God says, this is my son. Now, why does God say that? Well, in part, he says that for the witness that we receive, that we can know this is the promised one. This is the one that he spoke to David about who will come to save us. This is the one who comes to do what God is doing in the world, that we can know this. But I think there's something else happening here that we're going to talk about in, in a few weeks from now. But Jesus is about to walk into one of the two most difficult seasons of his life. One being the temptation in the wilderness, the second being the Passion Week where he would give up his life. And preceding both of those moments, God says to Jesus, this is my son. It's as if in his humanity, Jesus being reminded by his father, this is why you came. This is who you are. This is your purpose. You can step into this. And so the father in love and power is initiating his son into the very reason that he came. And so it goes on and immediately the spirit of God drives Jesus out into the wilderness where he's going to spend 40 days being tempted by the accuser, Hasatan, the Satan. And he interacts with him and we pick up and part of this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. So here it is. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then we're going to read through the rest of that uh, chapter 4 until Jesus launches his ministry, what that temptation looks like. And the accuser, the Satan, comes to Jesus with three specific temptations. And in these temptations, Jesus is going to identify for us what the hurdles are from the world and from the, our enemy, our spiritual enemy, the things that are hurdles and boundaries for us in fulfilling God's purpose. As Jesus took on our humanity, the Satan came after him to prevent him to living into his purpose. And as we surrender to Christ, he's going to come after us to prevent us from living out God's purpose in us. It's the same three things. He says the number one is the desires of the flesh. Number two, the desires of the eyes. And number three, the pride of life. We see these laid out for us in 1 John 3. We see them played out in Genesis chapter 3. As Eve said, um, this is good to eat and it looks good to the eyes and it's good for wisdom. The desires of the, the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. And this is what Satan comes at Jesus with. He says, aren't you hungry? The desire of the flesh. Take these stones and turn them to bread. And Jesus responds, we don't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from God. Reminding us that it, it isn't just what we think we need in the moment, but what we desire most and what we need most is to surrender to the God who loves us. In his ministry, as Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, your father already knows what you need. Lean into him. And we don't have to grasp for things that we need in life. We just can receive it as we make God the priority of all the things that we do. And I wonder for many of us, 
Even though we know that, how many of us need some transformation to happen in our hearts and lives where we stop grasping for things in the world and start pursuing God and receive from him what he desires to give? And what we might want to say is, yeah, God's first, but for how many of us is that job is first, that paycheck is first, those activities are first, and we're grasping and we're grasping and we're grasping. And God says, I've got something that I want to give to you if you will just surrender to me. The second temptation is that Satan takes Jesus and he takes him up to the Temple Mount and he says, jump off of here because if you are, or in the, the original language it can be translated as, since you are the Son of God, then jump off and let the angels catch you so that everybody can see. Since you are who you are, let everybody see it and get the fame and the acclaim and the respect. It's the desires of the eyes. I want to I see something out there that looks so good and I want to have that. And Jesus responds to him and says, we don't put the Lord to the test. That we lean into him and we obey him and we trust him. Not enforcing our agenda and what we see out there that looks so good, but knowing that God has something greater. That all the things that I desire in life, the, the desire for acceptance, the desire for uh, relationships, the desire for safety, the desire for my life to matter, are all things that are found in God. Not from things out there. And he pulls us and draws us into that mindset. To not force our agenda on God, but say, Lord, what do you want for me? And then finally, the accuser, the Satan says to Jesus, all this already belongs to you, right? And if that's the case, since that's the case, since you're the son of God, just bow down to me and you can have it right now. And Jesus responds, no, we worship God alone and no other. And we don't try to force our kingdom, but we submit to the kingdom of God. As Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come and your will be done, not mine. And what's interesting about all three of the responses that Jesus gives to the accuser for the desires of the flesh, turn these stones to bread, the desires of the eye, let everybody see the pride of life. You can have it now. He responds with God's word. The truth of God, and not just any place in God's word, but all three times he responds from the book of Deuteronomy. Something interesting about this, this part of scripture, the book of Deuteronomy is the, the moment in history as Israel had gone through the wilderness, just as Jesus is living in the wilderness. They had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years as Jesus had been in the, the wilderness for 40 days. And they're standing on the eastern shore of the Jordan River about to enter into the promised land. And here Jesus stands in transition between the wilderness of we're living in brokenness and sin. And he's about to bring us into the promised land where he will make a way where there is no way. And he knows just where to go when temptation comes. That this is not new. Why? Because it's always been a part of God's plan. Even way back then, he was pointing to what God would do through his son. So Jesus has been initiated 
into his purpose. Now he's identified the three things that will work against us in the purposes of Christ in his life and in ours, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And now he's going to implement his purpose into the world. We stay in that same chapter, Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Initiating and implementing this message, the kingdom of God is here, that God is doing something, that God is present, that God's about to make a new way, that God's reign has come to earth, that God's power has shown up, that God's about to overcome the brokenness of the world. And so stop going this way, rejecting, rebelling God, leaning into your own ways and turn around. That's what repent means is to turn around, go the other way and embrace what God is offering. Implementing this this new life into the world for us to receive if we will. And so if we were to sum it up, what has God, Jesus come to do? His purpose is this, number one, he comes to perfectly live out God's law. In his baptism, he said, we're gonna fulfill God's righteousness. As I stand here in the water with sinners and broken people, I will fulfill what only I can fulfill. Over and over and over again, we're told that that all people have fallen short of the status and the, the mark of God. And so Jesus comes to fulfill it when we couldn't. Second, Jesus comes to perfectly live out God's love. That his message, that as he came to, to be the presence of God, he said, repent, no, telling us that there is a way. That you couldn't fulfill it, but God's going to make a way where it can be fulfilled. So repent and embrace it and receive it and come to him. That God brings forgiveness as we're going to see. He brings healing as we're going to see. He brings freedom, spiritual freedom as we're going to see in the weeks to come. That all of that is given to us as a gift by God, brought to us through Jesus, fulfilling. Because God loves us. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his son, this son with purpose. And then finally, Jesus comes to restore disciples to perfect worship of God. That because of what Jesus has done, we can come to God boldly and worship him. So let's leave this on the screen and let's talk about how do we respond? If this is the purpose of Jesus and if the offer is that Christ lives in me, by the power of the Holy Spirit, how do I join with him and live out his purpose in my life? Well, if his, perfect, if, he's, if his purpose is to perfectly live out God's law, then how do I fulfill that is to obey the ways of God. To come to God and say, whatever you say, whatever you call, whatever you ask of me, the answer is yes, I'm gonna follow you. That if Jesus really is who he said he is, and this is what really burdens my heart so much in, in the church in, in the West, in America. If Jesus really is the Son of God, then there is no halfway. Uh, so many of us, we fill our churches 
wanting to go to heaven, but also wanting to hedge our bets here on earth and have a little bit of control and do it our way with the fire insurance that I want you to, to save a spot for me, but I'd really like to do it my way for right now. And we think that just because I believe Jesus is the Son of God, that that's the same thing as having faith in Him. No, even the demons understand who Jesus is and shuddered. The faith that He calls us to is submission, obedience. Lord, my life is yours. And if Jesus comes to fulfill it and He lives in me, then my role is to obey. And so what would it look like for us to be totally obsessed with Jesus? To be totally obsessed with what he teaches and the way he lived and who he was. The second thing is if he comes to perfectly live out God's love, then my role, my, the way I join with him is to believe that God loves me. <laughs> to believe that God is love, to believe that Jesus came because God loved me. That Jesus made a way for me because God loves me. To trust that Jesus, that the Father, really, when he says he loves me, he really means it. And in turn, to believe that God loves those other people in my life, even the people that I don't really like. Even my enemy, that God loves them. And to trust that God loves me and God loves them. And then here's the key, is this, to live as if that is true. that I can trust God and follow him. I don't have to insist on my own way, that I can love the people around me. I don't have to fight for what I think I'm deserved or owed. I can ask every day, how do I love these people well? Because I believe that God loves me and God loves them. And then finally, if he came to restore disciples, meaning you and me as we follow Jesus, to perfect worship of God, it means that we come and we remove every boundary and every hesitation and worship him. And I'm not just talking about Sundays, but I'm talking about every day. I mean, the, the biggest excuse that we, we throw out there all the time is, well, I'm just so busy and I got so many responsibilities and I got so much stuff. Right? You're, you are not a victim to your schedule. We are so busy because we choose to be busy. We are so torn between different responsibilities because we give ourselves to those responsibilities. We choose what will sit on the throne of our lives. And are we willing to submit to him and say, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I will come and I will worship him without boundary or hesitation. I will worship him fully with my arms raised and my voice calling out to God and singing and praising him. I will bow before him in prayer. I will listen to him. I will submit to him day after day after day after day. That I refuse to go and shout, and raise my hands and, and wear a jersey with somebody's hand, name on my back and then not bow before the King of Kings. I refuse to give all my money for celebrities and famous people and, and, and pursue after the, the things that they produce and not pursue the heart of God. I refuse to, to go and give my life to that job or that career or that pursuit and not give my life to the King of Kings who came to save me. No more hesitation in my world. I will worship him fully. Jesus came to do these things 
to live out God's law because we could not. To live out God's love so that we could receive. And to open a way for us to reconnect with our creator because we couldn't do it on our own. This was the purpose of Jesus. It was always part of the plan that he would come to make a way. And it really just boils down to this one question. Will I receive what Jesus came to give?